0: And we're going to, Lord willing, we're going to finish our series that we've done uh, on uh, New Testament giving. uh, Or, you know, we've asked or addressed the situation of, uh, are we to tithe? Are we teaching um, tithing in a wrong way? And uh, so we have, um, we've dealt with, uh, some misconceptions, I think, in the last uh, two weeks. We had to, we took two weeks to do it because the first week there were a lot of people that were missing, not able to be here. And so we kind of retaught some of that and gave some further things um, last week.
1: Um,
0: some of the, the statements that I have heard preached, and, and before I uh, studied this at length in Scripture, uh, I even taught some of these things early on in ministry. Um, were things like, well, they did it in the Old Testament, and we don't find a command to, to stop doing it in the New Testament, so we need to keep doing it. And, uh, and I would use that uh, oftentimes when I was younger in ministry. Uh, the, the problem is, as we begin to study uh, what Old Testament tithing was, uh, we're, we're not even doing that. We're not even teaching the way that tithing was in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, we've learned now that the Old Testament had three different tithes, and if we were to practice today what they were held under the law to do uh, in the Old Testament, uh, we would be giving thirty uh, percent and uh, but the other issue is this that uh, it was an agricultural tithe uh, it was only on the flocks and the and the crops and uh, the things that were produced on their farms uh, it was not um, Uh, from their income, Um, and then the places that they were to give the tithes. They were to give one of the tithes to the Levites themselves directly, and they were to give uh, one of the tithes to the poor and to the fatherless directly. They were to do that every three years. And uh, they were to give uh, a tenth towards a a family, uh, I hate to call it a vacation, but to travel to one of the festivals and to pay for the expense of the trip. And um, at no place did you find them giving to meet the needs of the temple or the tabernacle by way of their tithe. They met the needs of those that served in the temple and the tabernacle. The temple and the tabernacle were always taken care of, and you can check me out in the Old Testament and you'll find this to be true throughout it. But the needs of the upkeep and the maintenance of the temple and later uh, the tabernacle and later the temple were always by offerings uh, where the leaders would come and say there's a need. In fact, the first one that was done was done by Moses when they were building the tabernacle originally. And he came to the people and said, God's wanting us to build a temple, and we want you to give towards it. And uh, they gave, the Bible says, as the Lord led them to give. And it was amazing. Moses had to go to them and tell them to stop. He said, it is enough. We've got more than we need here. And um you you teach that today, and that's not usually the case. Most preachers aren't getting up telling the church, "Hey, you' all got to slow down on your your giving. The church is uh, has got too much or plenty. Um, but uh, so we've learned that Old Testament tithing uh, was not what we teach today. It, it really is not. And um, the i've've tried to find out where we departed from biblical teaching on giving. And I've spent a lot of time, uh, there is another denomination, another religion that has been practicing this form of teaching that we teach today uh, where we're to give 10%, we're to give it to the church, and we're to do it every week and it's to be on uh, all of our increase, all of our income. Um, And they have taught that for several hundreds of years. In Baptist circles, in churches like ours or similar to ours doctrinally, I can only find a record as far back as the late 1800s is the first time we start seeing these teachings coming into the groups that we're holding to. So for uh, over 1800 years, uh, groups that held to our type of doctrine and our type of practice really taught the biblical way of giving. And it's only been in the last hundred or so years that we've departed from that. I tried to find out why that was the case. I found only one occurrence before uh, about 1907 was the earliest uh, one I found, with the exception of one that was back in the uh, late 1800s. I think it was 1893. Um, I found one about 1907 or two around that time period, and then the majority of them came into being about 1920 or so, 1918, somewhere in that range. And, of course, uh, the economy was going through some very difficult times here in the United States. And I think personally, and, and no one would ever come out and say this is why they began to teach this rather uh, consistently throughout our country. But quite quite possibly it was because uh, the economy was so bad and churches began to struggle financially. And I think it was just easier to adopt what uh, another religion was doing in, in putting the obligation ...to the people that, hey, you don't have a choice in this. Uh, there, there is no... Uh, it, it's a, it's a, a standard that you have to meet and you have to follow after. And uh, I've even heard people in modern days, and I've sat under preaching... Uh, ...where preachers will say things like, God is going to get His tithe. And uh, if you don't tithe, He's going to get it one way or another. He's going to take it out of you one way or another. And you may end up in the hospital, or you may end up with uh, health issues... And they, they put it as something that God is, is going to grab it and take it from you whether you want to do it or not. And, and we don't find that in Scripture. We just don't find it in Scripture. It's not there. Um, so, so we're going to look at some, some things. We've already talked about the Old Testament. I'm not going to reiterate those things. We've talked about the three types of laws that were given in the Old Testament. Uh, there was a ceremonial law that was given to the nation of Israel specifically. Uh, for the purpose of identification and for worship. And this dealt with uh, things that they would uh, do different from heathen nations. Um, and it was for a purpose of identifying them as God's children. It was also for a purpose of their worship. Um, we are not under those. Uh, in fact, Galatians speaks very clearly of this, that we're not held to those anything, any longer. Uh, we're going to look at this in Colossians chapter 2 here in just a few moments. Um, there was a second type of law, and that was a civil law. There were laws given to operate the government of, back then, the Israel Israelites. They had a theocracy, and so it was important that they had laws that they lived by. And civil laws certainly can be adopted in a society, and I think there's some wisdom in following after many of the civil laws. But we don't follow all of the civil laws that were given to uh, the nation of Israel. Uh, we don't in, in, in put the, the same penalties uh, on stealing Uh, or on disobeying your parents that they did in the Old Testament times. Uh, We don't even put the same penalties on uh, adultery uh, or fornication that was put in the Old Testament periods. They were to be stoned to death for these things. And uh, while we still hold to uh, a moral law of those, uh, we don't practice the same penalty that they did under the law. So again, we're not bound by that law, Uh, although it is a good schoolmaster. It teaches us some things. Um, and then, of course, there are the moral laws of God that he's given to us, and these are to be upheld by every man. Uh, These are moral laws that we still hold to to this day. They've been given to us from God specifically for every person, every man and every woman. And uh, so we found that uh, the ceremonial laws are no longer, uh, we're not bound under those. Uh, As Gentiles, we never were, but uh, specifically as we uh, come to the New Testament, Uh, We're not bound under those civil laws. Christ was the fulfillment uh, of that law. We now do not operate under the law. We operate under uh, grace in the New Testament. Um, Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read a pretty good amount of this chapter. And uh, I want us to understand some of uh, the importance of what Paul is dealing with the, the church at Colossae over. He says in chapter 2, verse number 1, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them uh, at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you, "...with enticing words, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord," I want you to notice this phrase, "...so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving." Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, and vainnessy after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, and whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances... "...that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to, the cro- to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body... Is of Christ. So, these things that are mentioned in verse number 16 were Old Testament law. They were to observe these things. They were to be judged in these things. But Paul says you're not to be judged of them anymore. You're in Christ. There's a difference here. Those things were only to be shadows or pictures of things yet to come. Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered, and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, Why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will-worship and humility, and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh." If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. For Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So we find that Paul is saying, listen, you're not under these ordinances anymore. You're in Christ. You have liberty. Now, he goes on to teach in the book of Romans, chapter number 6, that even though we have liberty, we don't use liberty for an occasion to the flesh, we don't go out and sin because we have liberty, the the law is still something that teaches us a moral compass. In the New Testament, in in what we call the New Testament of our Bibles, from Matthew through Revelation, the word tithe or tithing or anything in reference to it uh, is only used in two places. And I want to show them to you. Uh, and we're going to look at that very quickly. First of all, in, in Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter number 23, and it's very important to note this, that while this is recorded in the books of our New Testament, the time period is still considered to be Old Testament because Christ had not yet been crucified. And so until that Veil of the temple was rent in twain. The new covenant had not yet been established. The sacrifice had not been made. So let's look in uh, Matthew chapter number 23 for a moment. And uh, let's look in verse number uh, 23. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Now, uh, what is it that would cause God, or the Lord Jesus Christ... To call these scribes and Pharisees hypocrites, I mean he pronounces a woe unto them. He's he's pretty well calling them on the carpet for doing something. What is it that they were doing that he was so upset about? Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith, these ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. These these scribes and Pharisees were obeying the letter of the law, and they had found ways to uh, tithe in such a way that it was not a hardship to them, it didn't hurt them, but they were meeting What the Old Testament law said was to be done. The letter of the law. And Christ gets all over them and says, listen, y'all are tithing, and you're tithing of mint and of cumin and uh, of these other things, uh, uh, but He says you've omitted some things. And He called woe unto them. He doesn't commend them for their tithing. He he actually ridicules them of that and says, you guys, you've made a mockery of what was intended to be a wholesome thing. Uh, Look in uh, Luke chapter number 11. And this is the only other place in the New Testament Scriptures that we find the word or reference to a tithe or tithing. Luke chapter number 11 and verse number 42. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 42. I'm going to back up. Let's let's back up to uh, verse 39, so so we can get uh, somewhat of the uh, somewhat of the context here. And the Lord said unto him, speaking here to one of the Pharisees, uh, he, the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness, ye fools. Did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? But rather give alms of such things as ye have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe, and here's the word, mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done, and not leave the other undone. And again, dealing here still in the Old Testament times, He tells them, look, you've made a mockery of this thing that we intended to be a tithe. Uh, The Pharisee was concerned that Christ had sat down to uh, eat and had not washed before he sat down to eat, which was of the law. And uh, the Pharisee, uh, which was, I say, of the law, it was one of the things that the Pharisees had taken the law of God and had expanded on and said that you weren't to sit and eat without washing. And uh, and so they were criticizing the Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls them, once again, hypocrites. Now, understand this. He says you should have done some of these other things. They were more important. They were weightier. And he said you shouldn't have left the tithe undone, but you should have done these other things. You have made a mockery of this thing of the tithe. And, again, dealing with the fact that these are still Old Testament times. So from the time the Lord Jesus Christ dies on the cross and the veil of the temple is rent in twain, you will not find tithing in the New Testament. It's not in there. They don't teach on it. None of the apostles use the word tithe. But they do, they do teach that we are to give. So I'm not telling you here that God tells us we shouldn't give. I'm telling us we've been teaching on tithing wrong. Uh, In the day that we live, we are not under those laws anymore. Even if we were, we would be still teaching it wrong because it should have been 30%, not 10%. And it should have been spent on things specific. And it should have only been of our crops. And so again, we've taught these things incorrectly. So what does the Bible teach us then about giving? Uh, Let's turn uh, to uh, Matthew chapter number 6. And uh, we'll look at the Sermon on the Mount here. Matthew chapter number 6. And we're going to start seeing where Christ begins teaching or uh, causing us to understand what, what giving is to be done and how it's to be done, be done. And once again, He's even teaching this pre-New Testament. He's teaching this in the Old Testament uh, as far as the time frame. Matthew chapter number 6. But He's already beginning to teach... Some things regarding our giving. In verse number 1, he says, "...take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven." Therefore, and I want you to notice verse number 2, "...therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you..." They have their reward. But when thou doest thine alms, (coughs) let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, himself shall reward thee openly. Now, we find here that he's dealing with giving of alms. There are two verses here that make a very pointed statement. In verse number 2 and in verse number 3. Verse number 2 says, therefore, what's the next word? When? Thou doest thine alms. Look at verse number 3. But what's the next word? When thou doest alms. So, I will say this. Christ still teaches that we are to give. It is not. It is still something that is expected to be done. We are to give. He, did, he does deal with some things here that I think are very critical. Uh, he talks about the fact that we don't do our alms before men. Uh, it's amazing to me when we teach and preach on tithing, how I, I, I <coughs> We don't do this here at our church, but uh, when I pastored down in Florida, a very good pastor, a friend of mine, who pastored another church in my hometown, uh, he would get a report every Monday morning, uh, a list of who gave and what they gave. And if they didn't tithe, he would call or have his staff call the church member and say, I noticed you didn't give your tithe, would you like us to swing by and pick it up for you? And uh, can I tell you this, I I think that's in stark disagreement with Matthew chapter number 6. Our giving is something that even in this point in time, even in Old Testament settings, but Christ is getting ready to go to Calvary, He already introduces the idea that our giving is not something that is to be made public, but is to be a matter between us and the Lord. It is to be something that is done in secret. Notice what he says here in verse number 4. That thine alms be in secret, and notice these words, thy Father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. It's amazing in the teaching we do on tithing, and then we pass the offering plate, and everybody sees who puts something in and who doesn't. Uh, folks, we've we've mistaught this thing. We are not lining up with Scripture on these things in many cases. And uh, this this almsgiving, first of all, should be something that we should do. Secondly, it should be something that we do in secret. Something that only me and the Lord know about. That's it. Now, let's look in Galatians chapter number 5. And... Uh, we're going to look at a number of passages. In fact, I've got, oh, let's see, six passages. I, I could probably give you a dozen more, but for sake of time, I, I think six will suffice. One should suffice, if we see it in Scripture. But to, but to show that it's, it's a continuous teaching threaded throughout the New Testament, uh, we'll look at a number of passages here this morning uh, on how, then, are we to give. If we're not supposed to tithe, uh, if we're not supposed to teach on tithing and it being an obligatory, uh, ten, uh, obligatory ten percent, uh, then uh, then what what are we supposed to do with regards to our giving? Uh, the apostles teach very very extensively on this throughout Scripture. So let's look in Galatians chapter five first of all, <clears throat> and uh, we're going to find uh, a principle that we're going to start with that holds true. Not in every aspect of our spiritual life, but especially in the area of our giving. Now, uh, he does not tie this to our giving. He makes this as a general statement. But it is something that we need to make sure we understand when it comes to the issues of our giving. Uh, Let's look, first of all, in um, verse number 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, in Old Testament times, it was follow the law or obey the law. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the spirit or the lust of the flesh. In New Testament times, it tells us that we are to uh, escape walking after the flesh by being led, not by the law but by the spirit. Now, notice as he says this, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, notice this statement, ye are not under the law. Now, is he speaking here of the moral law of God? No, he's speaking here of ceremonial law and some civil law. Uh, so again, he's dealing with certain things that we are not to be bound under if... We follow after and are led by the Spirit. Now let's look in Romans chapter number 12. And we're going to start applying this to the area of New Testament giving. Romans chapter number 12. And let's look in verse number 6. Romans chapter 12, verse number 6. Now this is written in New Testament times. All these scriptures we're looking at from this point forward are given after Calvary. So all of these are New Testament teachings. Alright, let's look in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 6. Having then, what's the next word here? Gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So, do we all have the same gifts? No, we don't all have the same gifts. But we all have gifts. Gifts. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. So, so far we've seen four different gifts that are listed. Now he says this. He that what? Giveth. Let him do it with simplicity. We find in Romans chapter number 12 that giving is not an obligation. It is a spiritual gift. Not every person has this gift. Now, notice here, as far as the... Gift of giving in verse number 8, that he says, let him do it with simplicity. There are not to be constraints on this giving. So we find that there are certain gifts that are gifted to people. Now, should we all give alms? The Bible does teach we should give. But some people have a gift of giving, and when they give, they give, uh, that, that's, that's one of their, their things that they're good at doing. It's one of the things that God has enabled them to do. Not only has He given them the heart to do it and the desire to do it, but He has provided the means for them to do it. Alright, let's find out if there are some other issues that are given. Uh, our giving uh, at this point, we've learned, uh, is, should be led by the Holy Spirit of God, as every part of our life should be. We're to be walking in the Spirit. Our giving is now a spiritual gift. It's not an action that's determined by a certain number or some kind of calculation. It doesn't tell us that in Scripture in the New Testament. Now let's look in Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. We're going to look at two passages here (coughs) to bring out one one thought or principle on New Testament giving. Acts chapter number 2. Let's look in verse number 44. Acts chapter 2. And verse number 44. And all that believed, again, we're dealing here with New Testament times, so we're dealing with Christians here. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, and singleness of heart. So, in the early church, uh, there were people that saw a need in others, and they would take what means they had, and they would sell it, and they would distribute it as the need was was required. Now, keep that in mind, and turn to Acts chapter number four. <clears throat> Acts chapter number four, we find the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, keep in mind, the early church, uh, they are selling their possessions and distributing to the poor. When it is in the hand of the person, it is still theirs to do with it as they see fit. And in chapter number 4, look with me, in verse number 33. Chapter 4, verse number 33. "...and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ." And great, notice this word here, grace was upon them all. Not just the grace of salvation, but they were expressing grace amongst themselves. And we find that that is true by the context of verse number 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of houses or lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation and Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, understand what's taking place here. Uh, These folks, they're they're, they're seeing a need in brothers and sisters in Christ. And they are selling a piece of property. And they are giving the entirety of what they get from the property uh, to the apostles. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that tithing? Because tithing, how much of it would they be giving to the apostles? Ten percent, isn't it? They're giving way more than ten percent. They're doing this as the Lord lays it on their heart to do it. And they're bringing these things with the idea that I've I've had this piece of land. They're telling the apostles, look, I took this land, I sold it, and here's the money for it. Use it uh, for those that have need. So again, giving to the poor is certainly something that that God is very, very interested in. But a certain man, verse number 5, named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, Was it a sin for them to keep a part of the price? No. That was not ever the sin. The sin came when they wanted to appear to have given all of it. Notice what he says here. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land, whilst it remained, notice this question, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, And gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And, And I could imagine why. But aren't we glad that God doesn't continue to do that? There wouldn't be very many of us sitting here today. Because these folks were making an attempt to appear to be something that they were not in the area of their giving. They could give whatever they felt God wanted them to give, and that was fine. God was okay with that. But when they tried to appear to give more so that others would look at them in a certain light, God said, you've not lied to me, and you've lied to the Holy Spirit. He goes on, to, and we know the story, how that his wife also comes in. And again, they agreed together. Verse number 9, Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Now, understand this uh, in Acts. There were a lot of things that were taking place for God to establish some new things in the New Testament. You've got to be careful getting your doctrine solely out of a verse in Acts. It's not to say that there's not some doctrine in there. There is. But you could easily read a thing like this and say, well, if you lie to the Holy Spirit, God's going to strike you dead. Uh, God sometimes used things like this to teach a principle to others. And He does not always. Now, He may still do this from time to time as He sees fit, but that's His choice to do and not do God is a just judge. But understand that at this point, these folks in the early church are not tithing, are they? They're just giving. I, I taught this lesson a number of years ago. I had a, 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 someone that was listening to the lesson come to me after the service and uh, was talking to me. And they gave an illustration. I, I shared this, I think it was last week, uh, of uh, someone they had given some money to to help out with something. And they said, well, we've tithed all of our lives, and God's always blessed it. And He will. God will always bless giving. There's no doubt He will. Uh, but are we obligated to that? And they, they shared this story, how that they had given some money to someone that needed some help. And that person that they had given the money to came to them a few weeks later and said, our church is raising some money for some missionaries, and I really feel like I need to give the money that you gave to help me to the, to the mission cause. And this person was telling me this this story after church, and said uh, uh, said uh, you know see and and so they gave the money to the missions, and God met the need anyway, on top of that. And she said, see that's a that's a that's an illustration there, isn't it, of of tithing being blessed? I said, no, it's not, because they didn't tithe. They gave all of the money that you had given. If they had. If they had tithed, they would have only given X amount of money to them. I said, if anything, it, it actually shows the principle that I've been teaching in the New Testament, which is our giving is to be Spirit-led. It is not to be obligatory. It's not to be something that if, if we don't do it, God's going to get me. That is not found in the New Testament. You just don't find it there. Uh, there are times where God will judge us if we give... Uh, with the wrong motive, with the wrong idea of trying to get people to look at us, and we see examples of that in Scripture. But nowhere do we find in Scripture that God's going to get us because we didn't tithe the tenth of all of our income. It's not in the New Testament. You won't find it there. Let's look in Second Corinthians chapter number 9. Second Corinthians chapter number 9. And uh, let's look, we'll begin reading in verse number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 5. The Apostle Paul is instructing the church at Corinth, and he says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of co- as of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Now, that doesn't sound to me like God teaching that we have to give ten percent. He's teaching a principle that if you give a little, you'll reap a little. If you give a lot, you'll reap a lot. Notice what he says in verse 7. And by the way, that that ought not be our motive for giving either. But, But it is a true principle. Look in verse number 7. Every man, according as... The law dictates, let him give. Is that what your Bible says? No, it doesn't say that in my Bible either. This is Scripture. This has been inspired by the Holy Spirit of God for the Apostle to write this. He says, every man, according as he, what? has he, what? Purposeth in his heart. So let him give. Not grudgingly or of, what? Necessity. For God loveth a what? Cheerful giver. You know when we have to give of necessity, it robs us of the joy of giving. It really does. I've heard people say, Well, I love giving. I love tithing. The truth is, if you look in their hearts, (laughs) that's something they know people want to hear. But nobody loves to give something that they're forced to give. Or feel that they're forced to give. God loveth a cheerful giver. He wants us to give as the Holy Spirit leads and directs us. We're to be walking in the Spirit. And as we purpose in our hearts, we miss some of the greatest joy in the Christian life by obligating ourselves to tithing only. Saying, I'm only going to do 10%, or I've got to do 10%. By the way, uh, some people pride themselves and say, well, you know, I decided I was going to give 12%. Well, then you're not tithing. A tithing is a tenth. Now you're giving the way the Bible teaches, and that is by grace. Look in Second uh, Corinthians, chapter number eight. Let's back up just a chapter. Uh, I'm sorry. I, uh, I think it's First Corinthians, chapter eight. I'm sorry, and I wrote the wrong one down. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me double check here, to make sure. Nope. Must be 2 Corinthians. Okay, let me see if I got the right. I must have written the wrong chapter here. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Yep, no, we're the right, it's the right passage here. All right, right, Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 10. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, uh, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. So he's talking here about a forwardness of, uh, in the area of generosity and in the area of giving. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased, and ye burdened, but by an equity, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, and their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. And so he says here uh, very clearly that you are to give... Uh, as the Lord provides for you. If you're the one that's in need, then you're to be the one that's the recipient of that. If you're the one that is abounding at that time, then you're the one that is to give. So that when the things are reversed, somewhere down the road, someone else is abounding and you're in need, they will reciprocate and they'll be able to do the same thing and that there be an equality there. So again, he talks about this liberality here. Let's look in Acts chapter number 11. And this will be our last one. And I'll give you some Reasons, some specific reasons why the Bible teaches us this way. Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. And let's look in verse number 28. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 28. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So there's going to be this great uh, shortage. There's going to be Famine, economic collapse, and the dearth that's going to take place here. Then the disciples, every man, notice this, according to his what? Ability. Can I tell you this? I have known people that have said this. I pay my tithe even if I can't pay my grocery bill or my electric bill. God never intended for that to be the case. He just didn't. The Bible tells us that we're to give, notice according to this, the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, does that mean that if you do give, and you can't buy groceries, that God won't supply your groceries? He may, but He may not. There, there's a, a passage, and I've not taken the time to read it, uh, of the the widow who gave the two mites, and a lot of men preach on this. In fact, uh, I'm, uh, I don't know if I, I do I have it here. I think I have it written out here. Uh, yeah, let's look at Mark chapter 12. I forgive me. We're going to go in a few minutes over here, but but I, I think this is important. Mark chapter 12, and uh, I want us to look at uh, at this passage. Let's look in verse number forty-one, Mark chapter twelve, verse number forty-one. Uh, I'm going to back up. Let's back up to verse thirty-eight. And he said unto them in his doctrine, "Beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplace, and the chief seats in the synagogues and the upper rooms at uh, uppermost rooms at peace, Which notice this devour." Widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. What does it mean by they uh, devour widows' houses? Understand, in the New Testament times, a, a widow had no means of making a living. They were not, they were not supposed to be out uh, doing the work like men were. They did not have a, a means of, of being able to live. And yet the scribes, the Pharisees, these uh, people that were the religious leaders of the day were putting a burden on these widows to the point where they were losing their homes. They were having to be sold into the poorhouse or into bondage to be able to pay their bills. They were devouring widows' houses by putting an obligation, a religious obligation on them. Notice in verse number 41, then Jesus, uh, just right on the heels of teaching us, sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich... Cast in much. Now, so understand this. He's sitting here teaching this while he's sitting there watching what's going on. The principle that he just taught was, was taught from watching what he was seeing in, happening right in front of him. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than they all which have cast into the treasury. Than all they that which have cast in the treasury. For all they did cast in of their what? Abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she hath, even all her what? Living. How's she going to live now? How's she going to pay her bills? She's not. He's illustrating exactly what he taught that these scribes were devouring widows' houses. And I've heard men get up and preach on this passage and say, see, we need to be like the widow. You don't find anywhere in this passage where God is commending her for what she did. He's simply recognizing what she did and saying, woe to you scribes. You folks are devouring widows' houses by your requirements. Bible tells us that if we don't care for our families, the Bible says that we're worse than a what? An infidel. And yet I have known preachers put such an undue burden on families who could not even pay their bills. That boy, you better tithe, and if you don't tithe, you're going to be in worse shape than you are right now, and God's going to get you if you don't do it. You won't find that in Scripture. It's not in there. So how do we give? We give as we are led by the Holy Spirit of God to give. I want to give you a couple reasons here real quick. Number one, Spirit-led giving causes us to regularly seek God's will in the matter of giving. I think that's a biblical concept. Spirit-led giving causes us to regularly seek God's will in the matter of giving. Number two, Spirit-led giving causes us to seek the welfare of others. We're watching to see where there are needs. Number three, Spirit-led giving has no constraints to the amount. It just doesn't. Whatever the need is, as God has given me ability, if He lays it on my heart, that's what I give. Is it 10%? It may be. Is it 100%? It may be. Is it 2%? It may be. That's for God to lead us to do. Number four, spirit-led giving does not constrain to whom or where we are to give. And again, this was taught long, long ago. And it's only been in the last hundred or so years that I, I am as local church as they come. But I will tell you this, when it comes to our giving, it does not always have to be done through the church. There are many, many times the Scripture speaks of people that give spirit-led directly to someone that is in need. Does it, is it beneficial to go through the church? There may be some reasons. If you want to get tax write-offs or things like that, you can do it. Uh, But it's not required by Scripture. It just isn't. Unless unless it's the place the Lord laid it on your heart to give. And then you give it there. Number uh, five, Spirit-led giving brings more joy. It just does. It brings so much more joy. Uh, To be able to give and to give generously and to give as the Lord leads and directs and to see it meet the need time and time again, sometimes even miraculously. Sometimes something is laid on your heart to do for somebody or something and you didn't even know there was a need and then come to find out it was the exact need that they needed and God had just worked it out. There's great joy in that. Number six, the Spirit-led giving allows us to exercise our liberty in Christ. I want to make a statement about this that uh, I'm going to quote uh, somebody that wrote on this subject, and I like the way he worded it. He said, Many non-Christians can tithe to their false gods. Enforcing a minimum amount on your religious believers is nothing unique. What is refreshing, new, and divine is the ability to give without being required to. All other religions have stipulations to encourage them to give while earning their salvation. We are already the heirs of God's kingdom and a part of the family. God's grace has already paid for anything that we owed. We give because of what God has already done for us. Not because we need to earn His favor. And the way we have taught tithing, sadly in our churches in the last hundred or so years is that if you don't tithe, you lose favor with God. Not there. It's just not there. We're to give as we walk in the Spirit. Now, if we don't give walking in the Spirit, (laughs) anytime we don't walk in the Spirit, we may lose favor with God. But giving in the Spirit is whatever He lays on your heart to do to the place and to the person in the amount of whatever He puts on your heart to do. Uh, Not popular teaching in our churches today. It just isn't. Because there are bills to pay in the church, and there are times that churches struggle financially, and it's easy for a pastor to get up when those times happen and say, boy, you need to tithe, you need to tithe. But I'll tell you this. Jesus told Peter, He said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Do you think that God doesn't know what the needs of His church are? Do you not think that if we are walking in the Spirit and praying and asking the Lord to lay on our hearts with regards to our giving, that He won't impress it upon us when there's a need in the church? It's what He loves. It's what He gave Himself for. Let's trust Him to lead us in our giving. And maybe we can experience the great, great joy, the cheerfulness that comes from giving by Spirit-led giving. And uh, let's do it the way the Bible teaches, all right? Uh, I hope that will help some of you. Uh, some of you may say, well, I don't know about that yet. I've been tithing all these years and learned about it. I know. I was there. I, for years, held to this. And it took an extensive study of Scripture for me to change to where I had to be absolutely convinced without a doubt that this is what the Bible teaches. And uh, you say, well, I don't agree with all the preachers and churches in our circles. I'm sorry, but if my Bible says something different than every preacher in our circle, then I'm just going to have to be different from them because I've got to do what the Bible says, and I hope that will help us. All right? Uh, there's so much more there. I've given you a very concise, something to work off of, something you can study further on your own. I charge you and encourage you to go through Scripture from beginning to end. And uh, it's not going to be a short study. It'll be, it'll be something that'll take you some time. But pray that the Lord will guide you and direct you in that. Alright, let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed. Father, I do pray that You will bless the teaching of Your Word. May we understand its truth. And Father, I pray that You would help us to have our hearts and our minds willing to be led by the Holy Spirit. To be shown not only how we're to give, but the truth about our giving. So many principles that we've not even covered or dealt with yet.